and welcome back to the Baropolis podcast. It has been a seriously eventful week at Middlesbrough FC and of course I am joined with Nathan to discuss everything from Neil Warnock's departure to Chris Wilder's appointment and of course all of the in-between. We have had the Birmingham, Luton and West Brom games um, sort of in-between all of the drama. Um, so yeah, firstly Nathan, how are you doing before we actually talk about everything that's gone on this week? Yeah, it's been a, a long time since we've done one of these, it feels like. But yeah, we're back in business and ready to talk about all, all this crazy stuff that's gone on in the last week, really, with Middlesbrough Football Club. Yeah, we should mention, of course, obviously, usually it is a, a weekly podcast that we do. It's out every Monday. And I'm sure the people listening and watching obviously will know that by now. But we just felt, to be honest, after the Birmingham game, um, that really approaching the international break that we would rather do a sort of longer form podcast. Um, this isn't going to be a, a thing that's going to be all the time now. We just felt approaching the international break, really, it would have been better to do a longer podcast and just really dissect things in a sort of a more specific way. But of course, we didn't anticipate that we'd have to talk about a change of manager. So with that being said, Nathan, it seems like a lifetime ago, to be honest, that I'm going to take you back to now. But of course, we didn't do a podcast last week, so we must talk about the Birmingham game. We're going to try to get to the managerial um, sort of talk as, as quickly as possible, but we do have to cover this. So, the Birmingham game, Nathan, at home, off the back of three wins, the anticipation was there from us the the last podcast that we've done everyone was sort of feeling like you know through the injury crisis Neil Warnock had found the system that was really going to change our fortunes round and it got to the Birmingham game and that wasn't really the case um let's just start um with the first half really it was a positive start to the game it probably feels like a lifetime ago you thinking back now but yeah, it was a positive start to the game. And to be honest, we did have large spells of pressure. And I think one moment in particular in the first half, sort of just skimming through it, was obviously that Dion Sanderson yellow card incident. Um, got his first yellow and then brought down Uche again. And let's be honest, it was a sending off, wasn't it? It was the exact same thing. Yeah, it was a sending off as clear as day. Um, two of the same fouls committed on the same player. Um, but we, yeah, we'll just skip over it really. But EFL referees are all the same. Um, unfortunately, this seemed to bottle decision after decision, and this was another case of that. So, yeah, bit yeah. of a bit of a robbery, Absolutely. but honest, we'll yeah. move on. Yeah, but on the Birmingham game again, we could go into finer sort of details. But the, the main sort of narrative, if you will, from that game was obviously the mistakes of Joe Lumley and ultimately those mistakes cost us the game. Uh, the first one, of course, he, he come charging out from a free kick and just quite frankly lost the ball in the air, missed his punch. And then the second one, um, of course, he, he hesitated and allowed a, a bit of a defensive mix-up as well, but uh, allowed uh, Scott Hogan to, to go through and, and put the ball past him. And of course, that was 2-0. And from that point onwards, we failed to create anything. So yeah, the biggest talking point for me from that, of course, was Lumley's errors. And obviously, we're going to move on to Luton. But 
you know, was it time for Joe Lumley to lose his place in the team? Do you feel like those errors were just one step too far? Yeah, for me, it's always been a bit of a weird one with Lumley. Um, I think he's one player that divides the opinion of the fan base, really. Um, I think at times this season we've seen him pull off worldy saves, but in other in other spells, he seems to be getting let off the hook a few times. He got caught out early on with Dykes firing one in his near post earlier in the season. Um, he got he dropped a clanger against Blackpool and they hit the post. And th- these are just a few a few ones that are coming off the top of my head really that I'm seeming to remember. Um, so yeah, it didn't come as a surprise that he came out and dropped a clanger there, but. Yeah, he's found himself out the side now, um, which I, I thought at the time was was fair enough. Um, but yeah, uh, hopefully he f- starts finding his form a bit again. Um, he gets that confidence back and yeah, hopefully he finds his way back into the first team fold eventually. Yeah, um, I think really sort of that gives us a nice little transition into the Luton game. And of course, I, I don't want it to feel like we're skimming through, but of course... We all know everyone wants to hear our thoughts, and I'm I'm interested to hear Nathan's thoughts because I haven't really picked his brain yet on on what he thinks of the whole managerial position. So yes, from the Birmingham game, we move on to Luton. Of course, Luke Daniels come into the team, and it was a first start for Josh Coburn as well. Uh, on the evening that Neil Warnock actually broke the record for the most games managed of English teams, I mean. It was quite fitting, really. It, it almost seemed set up for a, a Borough win uh, on such a big occasion for Neil Warnock. Um, before we really get into the game, obviously, we've, we've briefly spoke about Daniels and we both sort of agree that it was about time that Luke Daniels got his chance and obviously Joel only dropped out. But one of the other selections which really caught the eye that night was that of Josh Coburn coming in at the starting eleven. Do you feel like that was warranted? Of course, we, we saw him earlier in the season come on and score and make impacts. Do you feel like he deserved that chance? Yeah, he's had a few cameos this season. Um, and I think if we were going two up front, which has been quite a, a regular feature in recent weeks with Neil Warnock, um, of course, Uche went off injured against Birmingham. So Cor- Corburn's that other focal point that comes in. Um, although he is only a young lad. He does have that physical presence. He is a big, big lad. Um, and yeah, I think it was warranted that he did come in. He has, he has played well in the cameos that he's, uh, that he's given so far this season and it paid off really with his goal. Yeah. As you say, obviously he was trusted to start um, through Warnock and, and really I, I thought he took his goal quite well. And I think obviously a lot of the time you, you say about strikers, you know, well, I could have scored that, you know, it was just fizzed across the box and he sort of got on the end of it. But that in itself is sort of a skill and, and something that obviously we saw in the West Brom game as well. But he, he seems to already have that real knack of sort of a natural ability to get on the end of crosses and sort of, even if he's not really affecting the game, pop up with a goal, which is only going to be a positive for us in the long run, really. Yeah, it seems that at the at this current stage, he seems to have that that instinct to get into good positions um, and the balls are just falling to him at the minute. Um, that one when he at Luton in the week, he finds himself 
all alone, really. Uh, Sonny Bradley loses him from a good bit of movement, just driving in at that back post. And it is a difficult finish, I think, really, coming on the volley from Spira. It's a fantastic ball in the box by Spira, by the way. Um, and yeah, he's just just stretching and luckily gets that touch and puts us 1-0 up and leads us in, in at the break 1-0 up. Although we did have a bit of a shaky moment towards the end of that first half with one cleared off the line from Johnny Elson. Yeah, um, as you say, obviously, we, we went into the break 1-0 up. There was, you know, a few spells of pressure from us in that first half. And as you say, until really just before half time, it looked all Middlesbrough, really. We'd sort of, we should have put the game to bed, I feel. I don't know about you, but in that first half, there was a few chances that I remember and a few good openings. Of course, we managed to keep that one out just before half-time that you mentioned, how simply had one off the line. But as sort of the the pattern had showed this season, Middlesbrough under Neil Warnock, and I can't believe I'm saying this still, but Middlesbrough under Neil Warnock were a team that were completely polar opposites first half and second half. And obviously in the second half, that sort of nasty side to Neil Warnock's Middlesbrough team come out again. And as soon as Sonny Bradley headed in that equaliser, poor Martin from the corner, I almost felt like it was a given that we were going to lose that game from that point onwards. Yeah, it just felt like the momentum was shifting. Um when they got that goal, it is poor marking from Crooks at the back post. He should be following Bradley, but yeah, he, uh, it falls in the back of the net, even off a deflection from Dyke Steele. But yeah, I think the momentum was shifting from then on and it almost seemed like Borough were entering panic stations and within within a few minutes, we the game was done and dusted, really. Yeah, there was that that sort of six or so minutes, I think it was, that really just finished the game and put it to bed, to be honest, of course. Just after they'd equalised, Adebayo then went through again, poor defending. We all seemed at sixes and sevens, and he made no mistake. I, I think prior, obviously, the game, we all knew of his threat and his physical presence, and of course, their top goal scorer this season, and as soon as he got into that position, sort of, just inside the box to the right-hand side, you never really felt like he was going to miss in the form he's in at the moment. And then, of course, I mean, ironically, again, the full game, uh, Harry Cornick had received the, you just uh, bleep Jack Grealish. I, I'll try not to swear on the podcast, but you can all imagine the sort of songs that were being sung at him, you know, with his long flowing hair and his, his short socks. But yeah, he had the last laugh, really, and it was Marcus Tavernier who had tried to pop the ball back to Saul Barber, I think it was, and got his pass completely wrong and slid through Cornick. I mean, yeah, it was it it just went from bad to worse almost immediately, didn't it? Yeah, and with that, it was, it was really game done. Um, we didn't really create all too many chances following that. Um, I don't think Luton felt like they were under any pressure either. Um, but yeah, it just didn't seem to work for us in that second half. And it seems that we have, as you say, we had that knack under Neil Warnock of just sort of falling to pieces in second halves, which is quite quite shocking, really. Only um, 
I think after Wednesday's game, I saw a stat saying we conceded 19 goals all season and 17 of them were in the second half. So it was just, yeah, it's a crazy stat to see. Um, and you wonder what's, what was being said in the dressing room at all the half times so far this season for that to happen. But yeah, uh, I think I think that really puts loot into bed. Yeah, and then of course we move on to West Brom, but I think the the piece of information really that's going to set the context for the West Brom game um, was the early reports on Saturday morning. You know, despite Neil Warnock breaking the record, that his job was under serious threat, and obviously it come out in in the morning and and along the lines of pretty much said, you know, if they don't win this game, if West Brom beat them which a lot of people expected it was going to be his time up as Middlesbrough manager. For me, as soon as I saw those reports, Nathan, I know you were obviously travelling to West Brom, um, probably up early and, and, and ready for the game. But as soon as I saw that report, I almost felt like I feel as though for that to go to the Daily Mail, I think it was, which is such a, a national newspaper, you know, a decision to me, felt like it may have already been made. And, of course, that that did happen um, from what we heard and, well, from what everyone heard in, in Warnock's post-match interview. Did you feel the same that when you first saw them sort of articles that you thought, well, something's quite off here? Yeah. I, um, as you say, I was travelling on the coach yesterday to West Brom and seeing the report. I just thought, I think no matter no matter what the result today, even if we did go to West Brom and win, I thought it's a strange report to come out. Um, and I thought really no matter what, Warnock will be departing the club. Um, yeah, such a strange report to come out on the morning of a game. Um, and yeah, without any context of what was going on, and without the context of Warnock's post-match interview after after yesterday's game, it's it was a, a very strange report to see, really. Yeah, um, I think really now we've we've got to go into the game, and of course we're we're fast approaching talking about really the the most important issue. But in terms of the game, obviously Nathan, you were there. Uh, Josh Coburn, who we've spoken about again, in a very similar way to the Luton game we sort of took the lead early on and then the second half was sort of not as one-sided in terms of the Luton game where they just sort of steamrolled us in the second half. But we looked, for me, more promising in the first half. We took the lead, Josh Coburn again with another finish from inside the box. And then second half, really, you sort of felt that West Brom's pressure was going to sort of amount to them equalising or going on and winning the game. Of course, they equalised through Diagonal. And from that point, did you feel, well, it's going to be the same old story here? Um, I'm going to be honest. I, I didn't really think that we were under all that much pressure. Um, I know with West Brom's attacking options, that it may have seemed that they could have just gone in the ascendancy and sort of just battered us. But... I didn't really feel that we were under much pressure and I know that they did have a few corners in succession and a few attacks in succession prior to the goal, but I thought that the goal kind of came out with nothing really. Um, 
Diane Garner, the ball drops to him and he hits a fantastic half volley into the corner and off the post. And I think, to be fair, before the game, I would have I would have taken a point away at West Brom. Of course, their squad is one of the best in the division. Of course, coming down from the Premier League um, last season, but yeah, um, I thought really we could have probably nicked the game. Um, we had a chance towards the end of the game uh, in stoppage time. McNair puts a corner in the box, and it's cleared off the line by Sam Johnston making a save. Um, but also in that uh, in that passage of play, West Brom clear it, and it's Carlan Grant and uh, Grady Diancana running up against Johnny Elson and Lee Peltiers, our two less last men. So it, it could have gone either way late in the game, but. I think a point was a fair reflection of the game and really, yeah, it was it was a strange one at full time, especially um, I think the crowd, the Borough fans especially, were upbeat with the result, upbeat with the performance, really. And the scenes at the end of at the end of the game were uh, quite touching, really. Yeah, obviously you were there, so you. I'm going to let you speak on this and, and how you felt, of course, when, you know, it, I think it was only really 15 minutes following the full-time whistle that the, the statement from the club came through that obviously Neil Warnock was departing. But even from me, I was watching the game and I, I thought, obviously, everyone saw the report earlier on in the morning and then that full-time where sort of, it started off as though a few of the staff, you know, as usual, really, were giving each other a hug as if to say, you know, that that's a solid away point. We've done well um, with a depleted squad, of course. And, yeah, we can build on that. And then it became quite apparent quite quickly that, you know, there was something sort of more, um, something more really from the staff in terms of the way that they were going on and, and, sort of the, the hugs almost seemed a little bit more prolonged and Warnock was having a word in a few players' ears. Um, I remember Bamba and Isaiah Jones and I think a few photos have been captured of, of those moments. But once sort of you'd seen Ronnie Jepson and Kevin Blackwell waving and obviously Warnock sort of almost got a bit of a, a guard of honour really towards that away following and the, the video that we shared online as well, there's a sort of moment where it clicked that, yeah, he's, he's going, he's saying goodbyes here. And, and just from your perspective, Nathan, just talk us through that moment, really, because you were in that away end, of course. Yeah, it was, it was a crazy moment, really. Um, all I'm pretty sure everyone in that away end stayed um, until right up until the end, end of the game. And, it just seemed at first like it was the players just shaking hands with everyone, giving each other hugs. It's a good away point, as you say. Um, but then all the subs came on the pitch to applaud the away fans as well. And Neil Warnock, Ronnie Jepson, Kevin Blackwell, all the staff came onto the pitch. Leo was there and they all, they all came over to that away following in the corner of the, of the Hawthorns. And it was a moment that I kind of thought, he, yeah, he, he must, he must, there must have been something in the uh, in the report this morning. Um, of course, as you say, Warnock and the staff waving to the away end and giving giving a guard of honour by the players. Bamba was 
a main one pointing at Neil Warnock and almost hailing him. Um, but the crowd were full of support for him. Um, I think everyone understood that it's it was the right time, but it, it was an emotional moment, really. Um, I think me and you, especially in recent weeks, have said it is time to go, um, really, and that we do need to look to the future and have that long-term vision. And, of course, Neil Warnock having that contract till the end of the season season doesn't give us that. Um, and I think everyone understood that. But there's no denying what Neil Warnock's done for this football club, keeping us up in that season under Jonathan Woodgate in those last eight games of the season. Um, some fantastic performances in the end, in that running um, during the pandemic. And, of course, last season behind closed doors, he gave us that belief in the opening half of the season and brought us some good players in. Sol Bamba um, is a fantastic servant to this football club so far. Absolutely brilliant footballer. Balassi as well, another name that probably wouldn't have come to this football club had it not been for Neil Warnock. And they're, they're just a few a few names and memories from, uh, from me um, about Neil Warnock uh, at this football club. He's been a fantastic manager. And uh, yeah, I'd, no one in that away end was leaving until we saw Neil Warnock go down the uh, the tunnel at the other side of the Hawthorns. And yeah, it was a fantastic moment. Um, and walking out of the ground, of course, there wasn't really a statement or anything, but everyone was just speculating that he was gone. And as the crowd dispersed, uh, it all started popping up on our phones that, the club statement and that Neil Warnock had left the club by mutual consent. And of course, this was all before his interview that then surfaced uh, post-match, which I think we'll, we'll get into speaking about. But uh, I don't know about you, Chris, but did you think it was the, uh, the right time and a good moment at the end of the game there for Neil Warnock? Yeah, I think firstly, as, as you say, obviously, it for me felt like as soon as those reports come out it was sort of written already that you know he knew what was was going to happen and it obviously transpires that that was the case of course we we heard from the interview after that Steve Gibson had had spoken to him at, at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning and, and Neil Warnock pretty much said when he answered the phone you know I, I already know what you're going to tell me type of thing and you know, firstly, I'm I'm going to speak about it. It was it was the right moment. I think we all know, as you put it perfectly, really, Nathan. We are looking at the future. We've brought Kieran Scott in. It was the correct time to move on and and to start something new, especially with the contract issue. Obviously, with it being up at the end of the season and and the problems that. Had Neil Warnock have stayed, it may have caused in January with the recruitment and, and things like that. The point that I'd like to make straight away, and I've seen an awful lot of similar views on social media, and I know you feel the same, is Neil Warnock kept us up. And yes, of course, there was some bad moments. The, the three losses on the bounce or... For it may have even been, and you know, there was a few strange team selections. But I think, like I said, I tweeted out earlier, this 
this didn't feel like a, a Gary Monk tenure or a Tony Pulis sort of era where there was a real disconnect between fans and the management. You know, there was games where I felt that under under Monk and under Pulis, where I, I literally, I, I had no motivation to go because I thought, well, if the person in charge isn't bothered, then why should I really be? And it's, it sounds a bit ridiculous of, of me as a Middlesbrough fan to say that, but under Warnock, it was never like that. Of course, there was the rough patches, but there was still that sort of relationship and connection, which is why we saw the scenes we did at the end of the game yesterday. And I think because of that, it it, it made me feel a little bit upset last night when obviously we, we saw the news and we heard from Warnock. And the, the problem for me is the way that Neil Warnock has spoken about the way that it's been dealt with. And of course, we must consider that Neil Warnock is a man that has sort of left his job. It, it was called mutual, but it quite clearly wasn't a mutual decision. But, you know, this is not the first time where someone's left the club and come out afterwards and sort of talked about the way that they were trapped through certain members of the hierarchy at Middlesbrough. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to mention any names because I don't feel like we have to. I think everyone's speculating on, on who is at fault for this type of thing. But I just feel like Neil Warnock deserved more respect. And I don't like the way that the club, you know, under Downing, we saw that, that podcast where Swartz, I spoke about getting in touch with the club again and, and, sort of not really getting the, the type of treatment that a player of Mark Swartz's career at Middlesbrough deserves. And and Stuart Downing, it speaks for itself. I'm sure everyone's heard his comments about the way he was treated. And again, it just felt like from everything that Warnock had done, that firstly, why was he told on the day of a game? That, that just screamed of such sort of unprofessional... Um, unprofessional tones and the fact that Warnock then said he was aware that he was sort of going a few weeks earlier and and obviously we'll get on to some of his other complaints but yeah I've sort of went a bit long-winded there but it I, I was quite upset to be honest with the way that it sort of ended because I feel like he deserved at least a bit more of respect and to be told on the morning of the game was for me just it, there was no respect there really it was just a lack of sort of empathy for a man that is as you say saved us from league one yeah i think you've put it perfectly there i think the uh the main issue that people have as you say is that issue with how it's been dealt with um the fact that he's been told on the morning of the game um the fact that he knows that conversations have been going on behind the scenes about not only him and his position as manager, him being sacked, whatever, but the fact that he already knew the guy that was lined up to replace him. Um, of course, Chris Wilder's that man. Um, but yeah, it's such a lacklustre way of running a football club, really, um, when it comes to just respect levels the Neil Warnock has 
done a fantastic job at this football club, keeping us up and stabilising the ship, really. Um, getting rid of some of the dead wood that was in this squad. And there's no denying that there was dead wood in the squad when you look back upon the squad that he inherited and the squad that we now have. It is changed um, completely on its head by Neil Warnock and his staff. Um, I understand in his quotes that he can, he can be upset with um, maybe not being backed by the recruitment side of things. But on the club side of things, you can say, well, Neil Warnock's here till the end of the season, so why would you fully commit to signing players that fit Neil Warnock's system if he's not going to be here come the end of the season? So I think if you look at managerial decisions usually they usually come when clubs are seriously struggling um, in desperate need of replacement but I think this comes at a time for our football club when the ship's been stabilised the new manager's going to be inheriting a group of players that yeah okay we have some injury issues but it doesn't seem that there is that dead wood anymore um, it seems that that's been fully cleared out and it seems that this squad that will be inherited is a good squad that may only need, as you say, three or four more bodies to make it a, a complete complete squad that can push for the, the top half of this division and push that top six. So I think looking at the timing of, of the actual decision and coming into an international break, it is the right time. Um, it gives Wilder uh, before we've even we haven't even mentioned that he's came in yet, but it gives him the chance to look at the squad, get ideas in. Has, has these two months now to look at the squad, decide what's needed, and uh, we'll we'll look at what we do in January when it comes to recruitment as well. Whether that be just depth or whether that be actually looking at improving the first eleven. Yeah. Um, just as you were talking there, and then very well put again, Nathan, um, there was a few fireworks going off outside. Um, so, yeah, if you can hear them, I do apologise. But, of course, we're round about that time of year where, you know, there is a few fireworks going off. So, yeah, if you can't hear them, great. If you can, I do apologise. But, yeah, just on Warnock, um, again, before we talk about his real sort of complaints that he made in that interview... I think as well as, as, and we've both mentioned it, as well as keeping us up, it's so important that we think about the, the players that he's improved. You know, you look at the time under Warnock, uh, under Jonathan Woodgate, sorry, and, you know, he brought in Mark Bowler, he brought in Anthony Dykesdale, even Marcus Brown to a certain extent. And I think if you'd asked any Middlesbrough fan prior to Warnock's appointment, if you know, the thought that Bowler, Dykesdale, as I say, were cut out for the championship, they would have said no straight away. And, you know, under Warnock is developed both of them and other players, of course, but mainly those two into, you know, solid fullbacks in the championship, which, you know, could even be potentially considered as some of the best in the league and and even players like Dale Fry, I think under Woodgate, he come under criticism 
um, being the local sort of lad that he is and it always happens but I feel like he's really flourished under Neil Warnock and improved and matured as a defender and just as those three especially I feel like Warnock deserves an awful lot of credit for because not only did he save us but he also got the best out of those players and, and for that he does deserve credit um, so next I, I want to talk about really some of Warnock's complaints and the main ones were about recruitment this summer and how he felt that there's certain members of the club behind the scenes which sort of didn't really put the full belief into him and and because of that he felt that that was why we sort of hadn't um, hit the ground running this season and really got to the position where he hoped we may be. He spoke of four or five targets that people in the club sort of dilly-dallied on and he felt like they would be the right fit. Of course, we were going in a different direction, but to say that he felt like he was working at a club where, apart from Steve Gibson, he wasn't fully supported, it, it certainly raises questions about why really he was given another year and and what sort of the the hierarchy, if you will, why they left it so late to sack Warnock and why this decision wasn't made earlier? Yeah, I think really looking at the club, we need to have a look at ourselves in the in the sense that everyone needs to be on the same page. I think if the chairman, the director, I know he's not director of football, chief exec. Um, and head of football aren't all on the same page, then I don't think the club can work in tandem towards the same goal, really. Um, so just quickly, like, sort of moving on, really. Um, I think that hopefully now, with the appointment of Wilder, hopefully this is a decision that the chairman, the chief exec and the head of football have all agreed on. Um, hopefully there is a long-term plan, a long-term goal in place for the football club. Um, hopefully we do have the plan to build a structure within the football club, establish a way of playing and establish what we want to be going into this future, um, considering this is the reason behind Neil Warnock being sacked really um, he's sacked for the reason that we need to plan for the future um, and of course Neil Warnock wasn't going to be wasn't going to be here for the long for the long haul so everything just needs to be in tandem going it going into this new manage, managerial appointment and yeah hopefully hopefully that's the case yeah so I, I think that's probably enough on on Warnock now and of course you know, we we openly admitted that we thought it was the right time to go. But I think our disappointment really was just through the way that the sort of departure, it's almost left a little bit of a sour taste, to be honest, it feels like from Warnock's perspective. And of course, after what he did, it's, it's not very nice, to be honest. It's, it's not something that I would have liked. It's not something that an awful lot of Middlesbrough fans probably like. But yes... I've titled this next part of my notes, A New Era, and that's exactly what it is, really. It, it feels like, you know, Kieran Sott, since coming into the club earlier on this season, 
it was sort of the start of a, a new process and something that, in fairness, Middlesbrough fans have been crying out for for years. And because of Kieran Scott, um, we've seen today that sort of he was heavily um, involved in bringing Chris Wilder to the club. It feels like this is really a, a new era that isn't sort of cliche. It really is the beginning of something that the club want to do different. It's not a, a new golden thread era where Jonathan Woodgate's been brought in and, you know, no one's really quite sure what he's actually done to deserve the job or Tony Pulis is just a quick fix. Or This, this really feels like something that, you know, we can start afresh and, I mean, we, we can challenge for the league. Um, the league's, well, probably not challenge for the league. I've got my phrasing completely wrong there, but challenge for sort of the higher part of the league. I'm talking about the playoffs, of course. And, you know, really sort of make uh, a go of this season because I think it would be fair to say it was in danger of slipping away from us. But I feel like because of the decision that has been made, it allows Chris Wilder, of course, to firstly have his first two weeks during the international break, but also enough time to really implement his ideas. So with that being said, Nathan, Chris Wilder is the new Middlesbrough manager. What are your initial thoughts? I'm pleased with it, really. Um, I think it was it was the name that everyone was initially thinking. And then when that exclusive came out last night in the Gazette, that it was going to be Chris Wilder. I think most Middlesbrough fans would have been pleased by it. Of course, there is the odd few that aren't pleased by anything really. And some that have kind of got this label for Chris Wilder that I don't think he is what they think he is. Um, I think he's a, he's a manager that will look to be a possession-based side, look look to make Middlesbrough a possession-based side. Um, it won't just be long balls up to the striker and playing counter-attacking football almost. We will try and dominate the ball um, and try and dominate possession. Uh, Wilder has been successful pretty much everywhere he's been. Uh, he got promotion back to the Football League with Oxford, Oxford United a few years ago, then moved on to Northampton and won League Two, got them promoted to League One, and then moved on to his boyhood club, Sheffield United, which everyone knows about Chris Wilder and Sheffield United, um, winning League One with them uh, one, one season in the Championship to sort of stabilise the club, find the feet in the Championship. And then they finished second um, in 20... Oof, I can't even remember what year it was, but it was with Norwich City. I'm going to guess 18, 19, I think. Yeah, 18, 19. Yeah. And uh, they played some really good football in that season, um, finishing second. Um, of course, I think we'll talk about the, the style of football that he does play in a minute, but moving up to the Premier League with Sheffield United and finishing in ninth place in his first season in the Premier League. That is Sheffield United's best ever finish in English football, which is absolutely outstanding, really. Nobody expected Sheffield United to finish anywhere near 
the top half um, ninth place was out, outstanding, and I think it caught everyone by surprise. Um, and yeah, I'm all, I'm massively pleased by it. Really, I think we do need to give him time to implement his ideas. It's not just going to come overnight. Really, um, we're not just going to transform into that Sheffield United side that beat most teams of the division in that season um, and played some really good football. We will have to bear with the process and trust the process as much as that's a cliche. But yeah, I'm overly, I am pleased with the appointment of Chris Wilder and I'm sure you are as well, Chris. Yeah, Chris to Chris. Um, yeah, I am, I am happy with the appointment. I must say, I feel like this appointment gives us uh, a real sort of um, a new lease of life almost. You know, I, I listened to his interview today and I was impressed by everything he said and, and some of the key words. And, and for me, the key word from that interview was longevity. And it's, as a fan, it's always nice to sort of have it almost a little bit of reassurance that, you know, Chris Wilder isn't coming here to sort of get his career back on track. And then if something better comes along, just leave straight away. You know, he wants to, he sees what this club is about. He sees the facilities that we have and he sees everything which, you know, is there to be worked with. And with the help of Kieran Scott in that new sort of head of football role, I think everything is almost in place. Of course, there's going to be tweaks. Um, he spoke about the training programme and how the, the squad picks up a lot of injuries and he wants to look at that, which I think is absolutely essential and I'm very glad he mentioned it. He spoke about implementing youth and, and he even sort of name-checked Josh Coburn, which I'm sure Josh Coburn will be delighted about. But yeah, it, this appointment for me is... It's quite a coup, actually, because, you know, you, you look today and, and and yesterday and obviously Norwich have parted with Daniel Farker and, and Aston Villa have parted with Dean Smith. And I don't think you could have really argued had those two clubs looked at a Chris Wilder and thought, well, yes, he did have a, a difficult second season in the Premier League. But everyone saw how well he managed that Sheffield United team the first season that were promoted and... You know, I, I think for our club, and it's probably part of the reason why the decision was made on Warnock, we wanted to act fast and secure Wilder's service because there's a lot of clubs that would have wanted a, a manager of his calibre, really. Um, I agree with you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I am pleased with the appointment. Again, I, I don't want to bring the mood back down. And, I, you know, I'm pleased with the appointment. I'm not so pleased with the way that Warnock was let go. But... It's important that we now look to the future and and look what Chris Wilder could could build at Middlesbrough. And I think the way that he's going to build that is is through his style. And you know we'll move on to that now. Of course, everyone knows the attention that those overlapping sort of centre backs got, even from League One and in the Championship. It, it really started to get noticed. But even in the Premier League, obviously, there was that added sort of attention because of you know, it being such a global stage, but we saw it in the championship. It is a style, as you mentioned, that is, you know, it's it's more possession-based. It's something that is going to be probably more enjoyable to watch than some of the previous styles that we've seen from previous managers. And it's a style that I feel 
with certain players. And of course, we're going to need to bring players in. Actually suits our squad more than potentially Neil Warnock style might have. Yeah. And honestly, the thought of us playing three at the back with wing backs, with actual wing backs, hopefully in January, the recruitment system finds actual wing backs to play in a in this system that we 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 think that Chris Wilde is going to play. Of course it isn't a given that he will with our current squad at this moment in time. But I think we're all guessing that three at the back will be the way that we look to play. I, I just, I'm just buzzing for it. I, I can't wait to see us play some, some of this nice football that Sheffield United got playing in their promotion season. And, and um, yeah, even, even if it just makes our games a bit more exciting, a bit more expansive, um, I can't wait for it. I think it's it's an exciting time to be a Borough fan now, especially with that that Wilder interview. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it on Borough's website. It's fantastic. Um, I think it's clear that he wants to be successful here and he will be given time. As he says, he's had long, longevity everywhere he's been, really. Um, and I think he will be given time here to implement his ideas, to get the players that he does want in the door, and to build a team, really, and to to be successful with that team. Yeah, and, you know, it, it was quite interesting. Again, I don't want to spend too much time on Warnock, but he mentioned he knew who the manager was, and, of course, that is Chris Wilder. But he also did say, you know, I'm a little bit frustrated that I kind of already know that in January there is probably going to be a bit of money there for whoever the new manager is and at that time when he said we didn't know but from his post-match conference it does sound like he is aware of some funds that maybe you know Steve Gibson's found down the back of the sofa or something I'm not quite sure that are going to be made available a while to to add to the squad that we already have and, and sort of buy players that he feels will suit his Middlesbrough team going forward. So that's an exciting prospect, as you say. And I, I also want to mention the importance of um, of the assistant that was being brought in with Chris Wilder, Alan Mill. Um, I tweeted out on the Broplis account today a video from Tifo Football. I'd highly, highly recommend you watch that if you want to find a little bit more out about sort of the style that Wilder and Mill have been known for and what they built at Sheffield United. But one thing that was sort of um, not in doubt, but people were wondering last night before it was confirmed whether Nil was going to join Wilder because he, I think he was involved in the Wales setup uh, following Wilder's departure at Sheffield United. But it's so exciting for me that Nil has also come with him because he is sort of, I, I don't want to discredit Wilder, but he's almost known as sort of the brains behind the full operation really where he is one of the most innovative assistant managers, you know, around and his ideas and his philosophies, you know, as well as Wilder's uh, input and his interpretation of the way he wants to play together as a pair, you know, they have some very exciting ideas. And I saw last night, you know, people saying, oh, well, Wilder's this sort of grey head British manager and it's just the same old, but, if you've watched Sheffield United and, and even his Northampton team, if you, you know, really going back, 
you know that some of the football that these sides play that he's had his hands on is, you know, something that as a Middlesbrough fan, I'm, excuse me, I'm, I'm getting too excited there. Uh, yeah, it's something that is a very exciting prospect. And, and like you say, it's an exciting time to be a Middlesbrough fan. And yeah, it's, I just can't wait until Millwall now, to be honest. Yeah. It, the international break has come at a good time because he can work with the players, but it hasn't come at a good time because I want to see Chris Wilder's Middlesbrough team, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic prospect, really. Um, and I think something else that needs to be spoken about as well is Wilder did mention in his interview about his connections with clubs that are in the Premier League at this point in time um, and the possibility about bringing players in on loan. Um of course, he, he did have a few few players in at Sheffield United um, in his time there. I think one, he even it didn't didn't really work out, but Ethan Ampadu, um, he had on loan from Chelsea, highly highly thought of really by many of many Wales fans and many many Chelsea fans really um, that have watched him. So yeah, hopefully we get some of these some of these good young players in as well. Um, but not getting in the way of our own players' development. Corburn, as you say, was name-checked, which is brilliant. I think Jones will be in that in that bracket as well, really. And I think it was fantastic to see straight away that Chris Wilder and Kieran Scott were at the under-23s game earlier, having a viewing of the academy players. Of course, our, our squad, we do know, is depleted with injuries at this current, t- current time. Um and we, on the bench yesterday, we did have Cockerlaw and Jeremy Sivy on the bench yesterday as well, which are two players that we've we've developed. Um, so hopefully we see more young players coming through that squad and we do have that bridge to the first team from the 23s upwards as well. Yeah, I think obviously you mentioned Ampatu as well. I think the main one is Dean Henderson, of course, and the sort of absolute upwards trajectory that his career sort of went on as soon as really he started playing under Chris Wilder and you know that's a goalkeeper and of course Dean Henderson before his Sheffield United move was already known as sort of you know Man United's next sort of keeper really for, for the long run and you know you mentioned Ampadu you mentioned um, do, but you also have to think about again it hasn't quite worked out of course but players like Rian Brewster you know this is someone that is not afraid to take a gamble on on age where you know Rian Brewster had set the set the world alight really in the championship and Chris Wilder was willing to take that now of course people will be thinking well neither of these signings really worked out but you know, with Kieran Scott's input as well, when you factor that in, and his sort of unearthed gems that he found at Norwich, you know, everyone knows of Pookie and everyone knows of Wendia and and sort of the bargains that he found whilst at Norwich. It's a very interesting and, you know, I feel like I've said exciting about 700 times, but it is exciting. The prospect of those two working together and forming a partnership and, and hopefully working in tandem, as you said, working alongside each other and and bringing in these exciting players to fit a system. And I think that is so important that now, you know, he, he might not play the five at the back. He might 
you know, think that this squad is suited better to, I don't know, a 4-3-3 perhaps. But I feel like one thing that's guaranteed under Wilder is you will know what style and what he's trying to put across very soon, even in his Middlesbrough career, because he's a manager that finds something and sticks with it. And obviously the rewards can be seen through his time at Sheffield United, especially. So, yeah, it's it's exciting and the future... Fingers crossed, Nathan, looks bright. Yeah, we've said this time and time again, really, um, over the last few years, whether it be Gary Monk or Jonathan Woodgate. I think I think many of us have fallen into the trap over recent years of thinking this has got to be the one, this has got to be the one that works. Um, but I think with Wilder, I have that different feeling now. This man has had success pretty much everywhere he's been um, in his career. And he's found himself now at, at Middlesbrough Football Club. And we've just got to hope that we're not the poison chalice once again. Yeah, let's let's hope so. I mean, everything crossed, Nathan, that that isn't the case. But, you know, it's uh, it's one that'll certainly be interesting to see how it pans out. Uh, I think unless you want to add anything else on sort of the appointment uh, of Chris Wilder or maybe you want to go back on something in particular, we've got a whole load of listener questions ready to go. So, yeah, Nathan, are you, are you ready to move on or is there anything else you just want to touch on? I think just to touch on some of the players that we have in the squad at this current time that could possibly play a massive role under Wilder, really. Um I think under uh, under at Sheffield United particularly, one player that was always seemed to be linked with Sheffield United was Paddy McNair. Um, but I always had the feeling that he'd be in that midfield too for Sheffield United, really um, in that Norwood role that um, was so pivotal at Sheffield United. But it'd be interesting to find out whether. McNair continues in that centre-half role and plays as one of those overlapping centre-halves that we sort of expect Wilder to try and go with at Borough with three at the back or whether he does play further in midfield. And I think the same goes for Johnny Housen as well, um, whether he plays on that right-sided centre-half role or whether he does play in midfield and tries to pick passes in midfield. Um and not only that, but I think Dale Fry, uh, I think playing on, on the left of a three, Dale Fry doesn't look too good, really, in my opinion, on the play, playing left of a three. I think playing on the right, we could have a, a really good player. I don't think he's as comfortable on, on his left foot. And that's that's no disrespect at all to Dale Fry, but I think he could be one of the most, one of the better players in the division, really, in that centre-half role playing on the right of the three, if we do play that system, and I don't know about yourself, about um, some of these players that I've just named there, and whether they, whether you think they'll have a, a key role to play in, in that three-at-the-back system for Wilder. Yeah, I think as soon as the appointment was made, really, uh, most people that know anything about Chris Wilder and his systems straight away looked to Paddy McNair and thought, well, this is a match made in heaven, really, because... 
if he is part of this back three and, and the likelihood is that I feel as though that, as you say, if we go with this formation, I personally think that he is a perfect, you, you couldn't find a better player really for the role that these overlapping centre-backs do. You know, it, it's the licence to go forward, but of course we've seen his defensive capabilities as well. I think one thing that, you know, Chris Wilder, has been known for as well as his sort of um, overlapping centre-backs is wing-backs and one full-back, which I think could be really suited to that sort of position, is Mark Bowler. Uh, We spoke about it earlier on this season in the podcast that his attacking capabilities are actually quite underrated. And I think with a little bit of more licence to go forward in that sort of wing-back role, we could really see the best of him. And, yeah, I think in that midfield, obviously, there was the the, the Hollywood Norwood role, and, and obviously he sort of sprayed the ball about and, and really dictated the tempo of, of that Sheffield United team. So it'll be interesting to see who takes up that role. This is obviously, again, given that we do follow a similar system. Um, I think there's a few players that really could sort of fall into that category. You know, um, Matt Crooks has played a little bit deeper of, as of late and I, I think he could do that role. Um, I think Martin Piero was seeing his passing ability and obviously potentially he might play a little bit further forward, but I think he could do that as well. And one player who, you know, me and you speak about all the time, really, this could be... Very interesting to see where Chris Wilder views him. I think Marcus Tavernier, you know, in the three that, you know, uh, Wilder plays in midfield, it is sort of, it's not really a flat three. There's sort of one sort of deeper line, which would be Norwood. And then either side, there were sort of legs, whether that have been, you know, John Lundstrom or um, John Fleck uh, from the left. And, you know, even moving into the Premier League, they sort of moved John Fleck up up a little bit and and sort of more into a number 10 role and give him a bit more freedom. And, of course, that was a left-footed player, um, similarly to Tav. So it'll be very interesting to see how he views Marcus Tavernier and whether he plays him in sort of that similar role to to John Fleck. Um, But, yeah, I I, I think, in general, the squad, should he, he... go with the same formation probably needs and I think it's in the questions to be fair so I'll I'll wait to get properly into it but I think it probably needs a specialist right wing back and honestly people are going to be screaming at me there's one player for Forrest at the moment and he seems to be doing quite well but that is one of the questions so we'll, we'll speak about that but I think uh, specialist wing backs I think Bowler I think Bowler could be a good fit but right wing back especially and potentially a left-footed centre-half to put in that back three on the left side, as you mentioned about, obviously, Dale Fry um, would probably be better suited to a central or right of that back three. So, yeah, all very exciting things. I'm sure the players are nervous but ready ready to go in a while there. But, yeah, I think now would be a good time to go on to the listener questions, Nathan. Yeah, let's get into them. Yeah, so... Rob Fletcher, I mean, to be fair, Rob's got his money's worth here, as Jonathan Woodgate would say. He's asked three questions, but you know what? 
we plan to make this a longer podcast, so we're going to answer every single one of them. So, firstly, we've sort of just spoke about this in all honesty, but do you think Wilder will go for the same system he used at Sheffield United? Yes, I think we both agree on that. Yeah, I completely agree with it. I think we have, we do have the players at this current stage to uh, to play that system. Whether they are good enough to play in that system, um, it remains to be seen. But yeah, I think that moves on to the next question. Uh, yeah. Where where will where will he strengthen in January? Uh, yeah, uh, left centered left sided centre half is one that we that we've identified there. Um, I think we do need a backup left wing back for me with Baller's injury record. Um, some cover in there is needed. Um, right wing back, I think we probably need two. Um, one of them is uh, is currently not with us, but he, he could be a, a good option in there. And I'd probably say another centre midfielder that he'd probably like to get about the pitch um, more than a Piero, someone more than Piero that'd get about and try and harass and harry players up. Um, I think Fleck, Lundstrom and Norwood were all very leggy midfielders really, all got about the pitch really well and all pressed as a unit and were, were very good at doing that. So I think he probably will want someone that does try and initiate the press from midfield as well. Maybe another centre-forward too, if he sees fit. Yeah, I think, to be honest, Nathan, you've you've answered that superbly, to be honest. So I'm, I'm not even going to answer. I'm just going to say, yeah, what, whatever Nathan said, everything <laughs> that Nathan said, yeah. Um. So the the next question, obviously, um, just be, just before we go on to the next question, just um, Noah also asked about the, the change of t- tactics. So hopefully we've answered that for you, Noah, as well. Um, Rob, on his final question, um, have we got a chance of getting top eight this season? I mean, I said it earlier on in the podcast, I, I don't think there's any reason really where you know, Chris Wilder can't come in and and really hit the ground running. He's got a perfect opportunity during the international break to implement his ideas. And, you know, as, as we've said throughout this podcast, wherever Chris Wilder's been, he's had success. And I think the season has got long enough left now where we could, you know, we've already seen under Warnock, three wins got us into the playoffs from almost nowhere. If we go on a similar run, to, you know, what Forrest did, um, when their new manager come in, Steve Cooper, you know, it could shoot us right up that table again. So I think, yeah, answering that, uh, Rob, I, I, I don't see why not, to be honest with you. Yeah, I completely agree. And after the Luton game, there was a tweet that caused a lot of controversy on on Twitter that that kind of, it was a strange one for me. Um, it was saying that this squad is, a mid-table, lower lower mid-table uh, squad, and we shouldn't expect anything more from it. Now, I'd, I'd quite like to just put that as utter tosh, really. Uh, I think some of the players that we've got at our disposal are 
very, very good championship players, very good players at this level um, in the right system um, and in the right roles. These players could fire us way into the playoffs, really. I look I look above us in the table. Um, of course, the league is so tight and we are only four, four points off the playoffs now. But the, the sides that are above us, I don't see many that have got more at their disposal than what we've got. Um, not to fire shots at anyone, but Coventry and Huddersfield, you look at their depth compared to ours um, and you look at the quality in the starting 11s compared to ours and I think there's no way that they're going to be above us come the end of the season, really. Um, I know that I might get pelters if, if they do now, but um, yeah, I, I think that the teams... Are- line Nathan this is this is why we have you on this podcast this is you know, <laughs> um the, the, it's all part of it you know you've you've got to make these calls and I think speaking you know I don't want to speak for you but um yeah I, I I agree with you to be honest and I again we're, we're both running the risk now because I'm agreeing with you I, I don't think there's any reason why, as you mentioned, we can't compete with teams like Coventry, like Huddersfield, of course. I'm not discrediting them at all because they have got coaches that have now, you know, put their philosophy across and achieved, you know, the rewards really because of that. But with you know, we spoke about it again earlier in the podcast, the funds that are seemingly going to be available and what we already have at our disposal, I think it's all in place, really. And it was quite interesting, actually. I, I listened to an interview that uh, Wilder done with um, James Alcott on on the Football League channel, I want to say, on YouTube. But if you just pop in Chris Wilder, James Alcott on, on YouTube, you'll be able to find it. It's like an hour long. And he said, sort of, he's expecting his next club, this was obviously before he was appointed, to be sort of uh, a, a damsel in distress, really, sort of somewhere where he's going to have to come in and firefight and, and you know, really rebuild something. But I don't think that's the case at all with us. I, I think we have everything almost ready to, to go and just for someone to really grasp it and, and sort of drag it up the league, really, and and fully put across a consistent plan that is going to make our players better at the end of the day a manager's role is to improve and use what he has at his disposal to to make the team better as a whole and obviously you know we're putting my neck on the line but I, I do think Chris Wilder given time can do so I mean Nathan we've we've really put ourselves at risk there, but you know what? It's what it's all about. Yeah, it's all for it, really. You just got to... I think we both uh, caught up immediately in this loving with Chris Wilder, and I think we think that everything's just going to go our way. Of course, that may not be the case. Um, we are kind of drawn on drawing on the fact that Wilder's been successful everywhere he's been, really. Um, but yeah, I think given this current squad, given the funds that are kind of said to be available um, come January. Um, and once, I think it's the, 
going back, it's the perfect time for him to be brought in, really. Two months to have a look at this squad, decide what's needed and go and uh, improve in January. I think it's it's the perfect time for that. Um, and credit to the club for, for doing that. But, yeah, I think, have we got a chance of, the top, of getting top eight this season? Yes, and I wouldn't rule out the top six either, really, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I agree with you, Nathan. And, you know, I, I, I sort of want to make it known. I don't, you know, we might have come across that way, both of us. But I think we don't expect, you know, Wilder to come in and, and win every game from now until the end of the season. <laughs> that would be ridiculous. But I think what's important and, and why there's such room for optimism and excitement is because this time is on Wilder's side. There is the facilities that are on Wilder's side. There's obviously the backing, which we think are going to be available. That's on his side. And, you know, it, it does point towards Wilder, you know, achieving something here. But again, you know, we'll try and bring with two feet or four feet, I suppose, both of us back down to earth a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's very exciting, but we, we don't want to embarrass ourselves, do we, Nathan? That's the last thing we want to do. Not quite yet. We've had a few scary moments already this season, so... Yeah, we have. We have, but <laughs> I think it's time we move on to the next question, to be honest, Nathan, in, in case we say something else that might, you know, get out of hand. So, um, Michael asks... Uh, surely Gibbo gets the last say on everything. Don't know why Warnock's departure gets blamed on everyone else except him. What are your thoughts? Now, I think from what we've saw on social media today and from the statements and interviews that uh, Kieran Scott has conducted, I think, of course, you know, Steve Gibson is the chairman of the football club. He gets to sort of cross the eyes cross the T's and dot the I's is what I should have said there. Uh, you know, he gets the final, final say. But I do feel like Kieran Scott in his role as director of football or head of football, I think his actual title is, will have played a heavy part in the decision for Neil Warnock to depart and for Chris Wilder to come in. So I think, you know, you've got to be careful with who you you throw blame at. But from the outside looking in and and the media that we've seen from the club today, I think Kieran Scott moving forward in terms of footballing decisions is going to be right at the forefront of anything, really. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And I think Warnock's comments last night also lead us to believe that Warnock did say that had Steve been a bit more hands-on like he had been in the past, then things may be, may be different. Um yeah, Gibson in the past, we all know, was a bit more involved with these decisions. And I think the appointment of Kieran Scott kind of allows the uh, that role to be passed on to Scott, uh, really. Um, yeah, of course, Gibbo is that man to make the final decision on anything that goes at the football club, really. But... I think there are key advisors behind the scenes that will be in his ear um, and letting him know what they think. And I think 
Scott will hopefully get more things right than wrong at the football club. Yeah, fingers crossed, Nathan. Uh, so I, I feel like we've covered that, to be honest. The next question from Bailey Warwick, um, should Warnock have been given until the end of the season? I think for me, I would say that the decision was correct. I do think that Warnock's time had come. I think, you know, even last season, we, we started fantastically. And, and the first half of the season, I think we we all saw, you know, what a Neil Warnock side is all about and why he's achieved such, you know, amazing records with promotion with the likes of Cardiff and QPR. And, you know, it, it fizzled out towards the back end of, of last season. And then this season, it, it, that inconsistency sort of remained, didn't it? And, you know, I think given his contract situation, it was he was always going to be up at the end of this season. And, and with his age as well, I think now is the correct time. Um, you know, he... He spoke about being backed in January and the fact he, he didn't feel he was. And I think the reason why that is, is because the club knew that at the end of this season, regardless, there was going to be a change. And it just so happens that they felt that there was a chance that Chris Wilder, they were going to miss out on him. And from what we saw today from the Gazette, Chris Wilder has always been the club's number one target for replacing Warnock anyway. So the reason they've probably acted now and, you know, on the morning of the West Brom game is probably to secure Chris Wilder and make sure he wasn't going to go anywhere else. But, yeah, to answer your question, I do think it was the right time. And, you know, thank you for everything, Neil Warnock. Um, he's given us so many, you know, great moments in press conferences alone. Um, I think we've got to be thankful as an account, to be honest, for about, God knows how many thousands of likes and retweets that he's got us. I mean, that's speaking from a selfish point of view. Um, <laughs> no one really cares about that sort of stuff. But yeah, but thanks for everything, Neil. But yeah, I do think it was the right time. Nathan, I'm sure you'd like to have your uh, say on that as well. Yeah, I think you, you put it pretty much spot on there, Chris. Um, and I think I've said it already earlier in the podcast. Um, clubs usually get sack managers or part ways with managers um, when they're in distress. But this is a point in the season where we were kind of at risk of the season slipping away from us rather than falling foul of our own performances and falling out of the division, really. I don't think we're at any sort of risk at that of that. Um but, yeah, I think the club have got it bang on. Um, Chris Wilde will come in now. Uh, after it, he's got time in an international break now to look at the squad, decide how he's going to play with this with this squad and the personnel that he has at his disposal. Um, he'll look at where to improve. And I think Neil Warnock as a manager, has done a fantastic job of not only keeping this squad up two years ago, but of getting getting rid of that dead wood and improving the squad as a whole. I think if you look at the squad from when he came into when you look at the squad now, I think it's improved tenfold, really. Um, I don't really want to shoot 
shots at the club, but I think there were lots of mercenaries in that in that squad, really, um, in that Jonathan Woodgate squad. And we were a side that was in serious, serious danger of playing League One football. And it, it, it'd be absolutely catastrophic for this football club at that current time to drop into League One. And I think we'd have dropped like a stone. We'd have absolutely dropped like a stone and we'd have been gone into League One for many a year, really. Um, so I'm nothing but fa- thankful for for Neil Warnock for keeping us up. Um, and yeah, he did really well to stabilise the ship. And I think Chris Wilder's got a squad now that is a good squad that will only need a few more additions into that squad. Um, and we could really be a, a very good side in this division. And also just one last shout out to Neil Warnock's bum bag, because that was hilarious. <laughs> yes, it was. It was. Um, them same photos. I mean, one regret from myself. I mean, both of us were probably far too old to ask for a signed Neil Warnock photo, but I know I would have said yes if he'd have offered me one. So, yeah, Neil, I very much doubt you you're listening, but you know if you have any if you have got any signed photos left, then yeah, get them sent over to me and Nathan. Well, uh, speak for yourself, Chris, but I got this for Christmas: Neil Warnock book autobiography, signed by is truly Neil Warnock. Well, I mean, yeah, in that case. Neil, get one cent over to me. <laughs> watching or listening. And thanks for <laughs> so, moving on, you mentioned some of the additions um, that we could see in January. One addition to the squad that, you know, already belongs to us, to be honest. Uh, we spoke about him as that mystery sort of right wing back. Everyone knows who we're talking about by now. Um, it's Jed Spence. And of course, He's on loan at Forest at the moment. And, and very interestingly, we saw today uh, in the press that Chris Wilder was actually at the Nottingham Forest game yesterday where Jed Spence made it into the team of the week. So with what we know now, do you think that Jed Spence is likely to be recalled, given that we do have a recall option on his loan? I think the formation that we all sort of expect Chris Wilder to play he seems the obvious fit for that right wing back role yeah now I uh, I think this is a very difficult situation really um, looking at it from the player's point of view from Jed Spence's point of view he's been deemed surplus to requirements um, at the football club by the previous manager um, and he's gone almost like a sideways step to Nottingham Forest, a side in the, in the championship. And he's played now under two managers at that football club as well. Um, but it seems like he's found his feet, he's found his form, um, and he's found a place that he's enjoying his football. I think it, there's no denying that his, his tweets and his Instagram posts after games aren't, aren't cryptic. He, he says that he's all he's ever wanted is to play football and enjoy his football. Um, and he's, he's getting that at this current time in Nottingham Forest. Um, I'd seen a few weeks ago, one of the Nottingham Forest players, Brennan Johnson, had commented on, on under one of his posts, Warnock, uh, which is his nickname at Forest, I've heard, um, which kind of proves that Neil Warnock wasn't a fan of Jed Spence. Um 
which I, I didn't know that, but that is that is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, which I, I did kind of pick that pick up on that. It was swiftly deleted after, but all the Nottingham Forest fans had caught wind of it, screenshotted it, and it was getting thrown about. So that proves that Neil Warnock wasn't really a fan of Jed Spence, deemed him surplus to requirements, as, as I say. And of course, as a player, you would you would be upset by that um, with the current squad that we have. We didn't have. That that backup fullback, um, whether that be on the left side or the right side, I know Peltier can play on both sides, but I think he'd have been more favoured to play that right side, and that is why Jed Spence was ultimately sent out on loan. Um, and I think it, it's a, such a strange one. Jed Spence probably won't want to leave Nottingham Forest. Um, he's enjoying his football, playing what seems to be good football under under Steve Cooper um, in a dressing room that he seems to have gelled well into. And it, whether he'd want to come back to play in a project where it may or may not work and he may or may not get a move to Nottingham Forest in the future, whether that be at the end of the season or in the extended future, it's, it's yet to be seen. So I think it's not just as easy as, oh, Borough have got a re- recall clause in January, so get him in because he fits the system. I think you've just got to have a look at it and assess the situation, really, because he probably doesn't want to want to come back here. Yeah. Um, I think, firstly, for me, it... It appears, as you say, that, that Jed Spence really loves playing for Nottingham Forest and he's enjoying his football. And, and by all accounts, you know, I, I can't say that I've watched Nottingham Forest since Jed Spence has been there. But, you know, all of the fans have rave reviews about him. They all speak and, and comment on his social media posts about how much, you know, they want him to sign. And, and even one I saw the other day sort of said, why have Middlesbrough let this lad go? You know, he's fantastic. Well, obviously, you know, it, as you said, he was deemed surplus to requirements. And and I don't think at the time, really, uh, it's the classic case of, you know, at the time when he's not performing so well and, you know, we, we've brought other players in, no one was really too... I don't want to speak on behalf of the full, the full fan base, but I, I think the large majority weren't overly you know devastated that he'd gone out on loan but because of the performances and sort of some of the comments that Forest fans have made a few fans are now saying well we should have never let him go but you know that's always going to happen I think again you have to consider what Jed Spence will be thinking will he see Wilder's appointment as an opportunity will he think do you know what you know, Warnock's gone now, and I'm I'm sure he's probably inside quite delighted that Warnock's gone, to be honest. Um, will he see that as an opportunity and think, well, if I go back to Middlesbrough, they're my pairing club, um, can I really establish myself in that wing-back role? Or, as you say, does he think that my time with Middlesbrough is done now and, you know, I, I want to stay at Forest, I want to potentially get a permanent move? It's all, It's all something that must be considered... But again, you know, it, it does sort of um, 
it does sort of rely on if we do have a recall clause and that the, the sort of the waters are a bit muddy at the moment where we don't know for definite if there is a recall option. So it's it's definitely one to keep an eye on. But if we are going to play that sort of five at the back formation that Wilder's known for, I do think that, yes, it, it could be something that Wilder definitely looks at and thinks, well, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think out of anyone that is really contracted to the football club at the moment, Ched Spence is that right wing back um, that would, would fit the bill really well. We've spoken in the past about Anthony Dykesteel playing there and we both agreed really that it, it doesn't really fit the system with Dykesteel's size and stature really. Um, so I think looking at Spence playing there, it, it could be one that we look at, but I think it's also interesting to look at that um, Spence has been playing in a flat back four at Nottingham Forest and not not being played in that right wing back role in a back three. Um, so I think that's also one that needs to be looked at as well, that he has actually only been playing in a four and not not in a, a five or a three, the way that Wilder probably will look to play at Middlesbrough. Yeah, of course. I, I think that we've, we've answered that, to be honest. Um, covered every, every basis there. And, you know, the out of all of the questions, you know, it's quite heavy on the, the managers and and the drama that's surrounded Middlesbrough the past few days. And you know what, just to finish up on, there was a, a comment from Michael Connor. He just went far more lighthearted, um, just to finish up. And just said, best place for a Apollo in Borough. Um, you know, this might be the question that we spend the longest on. We, I'm sure it'll be fiercely debated. Um but yeah, a lot of football talk. Let's just finish up on this. Nathan, I'm gonna let you go first. You are you are from the local area. I mean, I can't really say I've I've grew up in, in this area. I do go to uni here, of course, but you know, you I'm I'm gonna say that you know better than me, to be honest. Now it depends what Palmo you're looking for, because Palmo's come in all different all different shapes and sizes, really. Um Takeaway Palmos exist, of course, from local takeaways. But if you wanted to go out for a meal and get a Palmo, all the players go to Central Park if they're having a Palmo. Of course, Onel Hernandez was there the other week. Um, I think he does need to visit Empire eventually as well. But that's that's a story for another day. But yes, yeah, Central Park's a, dead, a very good place. Uh, I think everyone's seen a certain Barcelona player in um, Central Park a few years ago with pig bag over, over the video of him eating a palmo. Um, yeah, that's a good place. And I've seen lots of rave reviews about a place called Prickly Pear Bistro that do over 50 variations of the palmo, apparently, which is outstanding. You see, I... Hadn't heard of that, so that is, I mean, that's that's something new that I just I wasn't aware of. So you've you've put me onto something there, Nathan. I think I might have to give that a go at some stage. Uh, for me, I think in, you know I'm well, we're both university students, but in terms of you know easiness and and delivery, I think 
you look at Manjaro's and you think, yeah, that's that's not a bad option. Never really disappoints, to be fair, when I've had Palmos from there. Um, Central Park, uh, like you say, is, is more, uh, if you're going out for a meal and, and you want something a little bit sort of um, upmarket, I guess you could say, um, as much as a Palmo can be upmarket. And then there's another. I mean, we're giving people free promotion here, Nathan. That's oh, unbelievable! Get us, get us, get us sponsored. Come on. Yeah, we need to clip this up. Any of the companies that we mentioned, get give us some money and sponsor us. <laughs> it's free promotion. Um, yeah, the, another one that I've heard and I have had actually, Divine Greek. Oh, class! Yeah, brilliant. Uh, yeah, very, very good possibly the best I've had actually so yeah that would be my recommendations um yeah I think that's that's probably the most analysis we've we've done all podcasts to be honest and, he, and right or really yeah I don't know what the listeners would rather listen to us thinking about Chris Wilder's 352 or us an- analyzing Palmos and which are the best in the town but I think we've covered it all quite well really um and uh, I don't know about you and your university mates, but a few of mine, I've, I've gave them Palmo before, a bit of an insight into a Palmo. Yeah. I, I had a Palmo's in the post delivery to me right. in Lincoln. Okay. It was outstanding, really. Put it in the oven for half an hour and it was, it was fantastic. But my flatmates weren't all up for it. They said it was horrific, which I was very disappointed by. Um, so I don't know about your mates. And, and what their thoughts on it are yeah do, do you know what I think obviously with you being in Lincoln this I mean I don't want to cause any arguments but of course they have sort of um, slightly different views on you know what what is deemed as good food as as to us uh, northerners if you want to if you want to call us that um, yeah my my university group of mates I must say everyone is at the right time, because I think there is a right time for a palm or you don't want to be eating them every day, do you? No. Uh, but but when they are when they are feeling at the right time, yeah, they're all they're all bang up for it always. So lovely yeah. stuff. Lovely stuff. Yeah. Um and you know what? Listeners, uh Michael, you asked the question. Let us know your thoughts because as you can see, we're, we're very interested and, in, you know, would love to know any recommendations that we might have not mentioned. If there's a better one out there, I'm by all means up for trying it. Um, so, yeah, Nathan, I feel like that is, that's an incredible place to leave it on, to be honest. Yeah, what a subject topic. But, yeah, hopefully all us Borough fans come Millwall in two weeks' time are celebrating Chris Wilder's debut game as Borough manager with... A big fat palm or chips and garlic after full time. Yeah, I think that that sounds brilliant to be honest. And then you know straight after that, well, you probably don't want to be in one before you go out. I suppose. I mean, it's debatable whether you want one after uh, you feed your empire, which you know we spoke about in the last podcast. We we tackle all the important issues here on the Brockless podcast. Um, yeah. But Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough's a crazy place and all these issues do need to be spoken about somewhere and we are that place that all these fantastic issues are spoken about. Empire, Palmos, Chris Wilder's 352. This is the place to be. Yeah, 
I couldn't have put it better, Nathan. Uh, so, of course, as always, uh, thanks, uh, Nathan, for joining me and, and thanks for your insight onto all these important topics. And for those that are listening and watching, thank you once again. Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel again. We're close to hitting that 100. You know, it's it's not quite the diamond play button, but it's <laughs> important to me and Nathan that we hit that. And, yeah, uh, if you've been listening on Spotify or Apple, or whichever sort of audio platform that you choose, uh, give us a rating. Um, five stars, of course. We we all love a five star rating, and that does actually help other Borough fans find us. So yes, of course. Thanks once more from us. Um, and the last thing I'm going to say is up Chris Wilder's Reds and up the Brockless podcast. Thanks ever so much again, and we'll see you again next week. Oh,